On August 11th of last year, the world lost a statesman, Michael Bednarik, which is why I've dedicated all of my shows this past week to honoring his life. We've been talking about his book, Good to be King, and breaking it down, parts one through five. And today we conclude with part five. So I've invited my friend, Chris Michaels, who I just introduced to Michael Bednarik's teachings to get a little bit of a recap of what he's learned throughout the week, as well as through his own studies, getting to know Michael Benark and his message of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to part five of Good to be King, the foundation of our constitutional freedom. You've made it to the end of the week, which means I bring on my good friend, Chris Michaels. So officially, welcome to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden and Chris Michaels here on the America Out Loud Network. This week, we have been bringing you the book, Good to be King, to help you understand your rights, versus your privileges, helping you understand how the Constitution impacts your life, that there is no such thing as constitutional rights. You have rights. The Constitution protects them. We've talked about why we have this form of government. We also discovered that Alexander Hamilton wanted to be the very first king. Thank God that didn't work out for him. And we got a smaller decentralized government than the centralized government that he wanted. Within all that, we talked yesterday about the three branches of government and how all of them now are violating your constitutional rights because they are operating outside the purview of the original document, including the Supreme Court that states that they can decide whether or not something is constitutional. The Supreme Court has no authority in the Constitution to do that. The only people that can decide that is we, the people. That's right. You as a citizen get to decide whether or not something is constitutional. And in the events, you find out that everything around you is now being deemed unconstitutional. You have the authority. You have the duty despite the fact you might have to lay down your life in order to alter or abolish the form of government, which leads us today to talking about our amendment rights. Chris Michaels, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you very much. This is going to be fantastic. I love legal language. And you're going to love Michael Bednarik because he loved getting into Black's Law Dictionary. Yes. Get to the original term, not these altered terms that all people are tampering with right now. But let's get to the original legal definition of what things mean. Have you ever heard, Chris, somebody say to you, oh, well, we wouldn't know what the framers were thinking because they could never have imagined that this was going to be happening. How do we know what was going through their thought process back then? Have you heard people give you that argument? Constantly, constantly. And also that follows with, 
well, the Constitution is outdated and the Bill of Rights is, you know, it should be updated. The Constitution should be thrown out. (laughs) Okay, sure. So what kind of laws and, and, and regulations and privileges are you going to allow us to have? Did I say the wrong word? Privilege versus right? You said the What's the word. difference there? Yes. You know, I'm not sure if you've ever lived in a community where they can dictate what you can and cannot do. But if you've ever rented a home, there are certain things that you cannot do to your home because you do not own it, right? Uh, you can't just all of a sudden knock out a wall and go, well, I open up the room for you because it's not your house. You're renting. You have the privilege through contract in order to rent that home. You understand that, correct? Of course. Contracts are everything. Correct. And we have the unlimited power to contract, as we've covered this week, with anything in our life, whether that's marriage. We have a contract that we can decide to marry who we want to marry. We can decide to take a job for who we want to take a job. But let me ask you a question, Chris. Have you ever asked yourself, who gave the government the right to issue a marriage contract? I don't know. How did it start? Well, I would think that everybody should be asking themselves the question, why is it that I need the government to state that my marriage is valid? Whether you're homosexual, heterosexual, no sexual, if you want to get married, why does there need to be a government figure in the middle of that. In addition to that, we can go and see that this was just the way it had always been done back to the King of England, granting you a decree that yes, you can be married. Yes. These two people, they fell in love and yes, I recognize it. And before then society, we recognize it, but it's all about control and turning your right to contract into a privilege. And so marriage is likely one of the first aberrations of the constitution that so many people enter into willingly, not realizing that they don't have to, you can get married. You don't need the government to give you a license to say that you're married. Yes. And did you hear the other part of what Michael said about marriage licenses? What's that? If you look into black's law dictionary and so on and so forth, you find out that marriage licenses were originally in place for interracial marriages. Correct. So if you wanted to get married to somebody darker than porcelain, then you had to have a license to do it. So once slavery ended, instead of stopping that kind of behavior and those kinds of licenses, what did they do? Applied equally to all. Everybody needs one. So that way we can't be racist. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely not. Oh, God forbid you were white and you wanted to marry a black person. Then the government was like, oh, here's, here's this document. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> well, but I mean, was it Jefferson or Franklin? What would they say? <laughs> 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 well, here's the good news for all those people that say, what would they say? We do know what they would say. And the reason why we know that Michael Benark worked tirelessly for 18 years to try the document. All of the Federalist Papers, these 87 documents, he worked tirelessly to read Thomas Jefferson's writings, to read Benjamin Franklin's writings, to understand these individuals and the history from where they came from, to understand Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. And I said at the very first part this week, people are choosing death. They're choosing death instead of liberty, and they have no one to blame but themselves. I want to play a clip here of Michael Benark talking about 
how the Constitution needs to be controlled by the people. This is a, a, a brilliant little clip. And let me just make sure my sound's on so you can hear it, too. And then we'll get a little reaction to it, Chris. Here we go. Government is not reason. Government is not eloquence. It is force. And like fire, it is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. If you live in a log cabin, you'd require fire for your survival. You use the fire to heat your home and to cook your food. Fire is such a necessary part of your survival that you create a special place for fire. It is called a fireplace. Government is necessary for our survival. We need government in order to survive. The founding fathers created a special place for government. It is called the Constitution. Hey, but it gets better, people. Anytime the fire is in the fireplace, it is a good fire. <laughs> Anytime a fire gets outside of the fireplace, it is a bad fire. Conversely, anytime the government stays within the limitations of the Constitution, it is a good government. Anytime the government is outside the Constitution, it is a bad government and it is time for us to stomp it out. So why is it that we have bad government? And we do. We, we have bad government. We can give plenty of examples, right? Executive orders. Every president just comes in. They do what they want to do. They don't care about the Constitution. They're like, well, I said that it's a legal decree. So there it is. We can't get Senate and the Congress to work together. So we're just going to do this. We have George Bush and the Patriot Act, right? Just stomping out your, your search and seizure of uh, your assets if you're deemed a terrorist and you don't even know why you would get put on that no fly list or the terrorism list. Our government has been stamping, stomping all over us. Like the, the fire is run rampant around the home. It's actually out onto the street and the, the fire department's showing up and going, the house is lost. The house is lost. <laughs> I don't think we can do anything about it. We're just going to let that thing burn out like a forest fire in Canada. And uh, it's not a good thing for any of us that we've lost. And I see this with Donald Trump and what happened where people are saying, well, you know, this election, it, it wasn't stolen. What do you mean? And Donald Trump's going, well, wait, there's these influences in all these other parts. They're like, oh, stop it. Or like, oh, no, well, the Constitution in Pennsylvania, it wasn't followed, the state constitution for the voters, for these uh, mail-in registrations that were happening. Oh, stop it. Well, guess what? If the people accept it, if the people allow the home to burn, you get exactly what you deserve, which when you listen to my show, that's Michael Benark saying you voted for socialism and you've got what you voted for. That is 100 percent accurate. And it's also complacency, just absolute complacency from the American people, because I think over the past decade or so, or I should say multiple decades there has been a vacuum, and I've spoken about it, a moral compass. And I don't necessarily mean what's right and wrong with people, but knowing what your rights are 
your rights as a human being, they're not given to you. They're inherent. You always have them. And the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, they say they don't want anybody to infringe upon those rights. Nobody wants to believe that anymore. They've been manipulated into thinking that their rights are actually a privilege and they don't know how to go about taking their lives back. Think about everything that we've seen over the past century, the Federal Reserve, the National Guard. You've brought up how we've been in constant national emergencies for almost a century with little breaks here or there. Like you brought up before the Patriot Act and what we have to go through just to get on an airplane. And God knows what kind of technology they have now after Edward Snowden came out in what, 2012, 13, whatever, a a decade ago. Nobody knows what to do because I think there is a complacency and the people that aren't complacent, I think they feel helpless. Have you ever... Have you ever yeah. seen a, a free speech zone up in New York? Of course. Of course. I mean, this happened, you know, about 15 years ago. We started enacting on college campuses. Oh, free speech can happen here. F you. Yeah. Free right. speech happens wherever I want to open my mouth. If I have something to say, I'm going to say it. And you don't get the right to tell me I don't have that right. Now, there is an exception to that, right? I'm not going to be allowed to cause a panic in a crowded theater. However, if there's no one else in the theater and it's just me watching the movie, I can start yelling fire as loud as I want to yell fire. No one's yeah. getting harmed by that. It's my right and my free speech. The First Amendment is the freedom of your self-expression, how you want to express yourself, and it protects so much. And so it begins with Congress shall make no law dot, dot, dot. And Michael Bednarik, he used to joke that he wished they placed a period there and they were done with it. And that would have been the constitution, but they did not. They put in some restrictions against any law respecting an establishment of religion. So Congress was not allowed to endorse any religion over another religion. And this was important to them because they just came out of the church of England And they wanted to make sure that government was not going back to what we had come from with uh, religion ruling the day. They also wanted to make sure that we had free speech, that we could say what we wanted to say without fear of upsetting a political pundit. Because back in England, should you say something to offend the king or the king's family off with your head or out of your uh, town, it got really bad for you. Now, in the United States, are there consequences for speaking ill about other politicians? Can you think of any time somebody has suffered because they spoke up about a politician? Well, I think you just named one, Edward Snowden. But can you think of anybody else? Uh, Spoke up in defense of a politician? Oh, could it be anybody that potentially said anything pro-Trump and they should be canceled? And the people that are doing the canceling are supposed to be the social justice warriors that stand up for various groups like the women's group and the migrants that come into this country. This is the same story. They're trying to weaponize 
the Constitution. And I didn't know which way you were going to go with this. I thought you were going to tell an N-bomb joke. I'm glad you didn't with the freedom of expression thing. Not that I've ever heard you tell one of those, but I'm glad you that's did. not something I would do. <laughs> nope. I just wanted to see what you would say to what I, I was saying. <laughs> I was not even going to respond to that because I wasn't giving credence to it. No, but the, the idea that they're trying to regulate free speech is hideous. It's horrific. And you're seeing even more of this now when they're trying to say, well, freedom of speech doesn't necessarily exist online. Well, yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Because now whatever you say online could potentially land you with a visit from the cops or the FBI. What, what do you mean I can't say I'm anti-trans? Not that I am. What do you mean I can't say that, um, you know, th there is something to this power elite in the background that are manipulating elections all across the planet? Why can't I say anything like that? Or worse yet, I think that the election was stolen. How come I can't say that without ridicule, without getting drummed out of social media? That's horrific. So what are they now saying that freedom of speech actually is? Just having a conversation and whatever I can yell out there and that's it? Well, it's because we're moving towards communism. And I talked about that a few days ago. Where the planks of communism state that the community dictates what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. But the problem is you have individual rights. Communities have no rights whatsoever. But you have communities now in the Me Too movement, Alyssa Milano, what a fraud. Oh. Uh, you have, right? You have these individuals that think that they're so important that get their word out there and to do what they need to do, that they are looking to abridge your freedom of speech. But the First Amendment protects that individual speech. It's one of the reasons why Elon Musk, even though I'm still kind of like, what is he doing with Twitter? I agree with the tenet of you should be able to say whatever you want to say on Twitter. And the world should be able to react to whatever you want to say, right? And react appropriately. You shouldn't be able to make threats that are going to be followed up, publish people's private information, stuff like that. Like that is where their rights begin. So you're taking away their rights. That's not correct. But beginning with the preamble to the Constitution, we can alter or abolish the government when it becomes destructive of our rights. So if you follow that, then logically, you should also be able to speak ill of a government or a current administration if they are asserting something to the contrary of what we believe. Is that not right? Or, or is the government allowed to take correct. that away? All right. It's 100% correct. It's all about belief and what Donald Trump potentially believes in in this example. Oh, I believe the election was stolen in these ways in these counties. There's nothing wrong with saying that. And there's nothing wrong with telling people that work below Donald Trump to maybe go investigate those. Right. There's nothing Correct. wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. There is something wrong, though, when you paint people that are Donald Trump supporters as terrorists, like Joe Biden did on the steps of Philadelphia's Constitutional Hall. That is not proper. Any elected official that claims that their political dissent is a terrorist or is causing harm to this country is in violation of the First Amendment. And I don't know why people don't understand that, why that's such a big deal. But since you talk about Donald Trump, there's a third part of the First Amendment. 
And he said that the news is fake, but we know that the founding fathers, the freedom of the press was one of the most important things that they felt we would have because they were quoted as saying freedom can only exist in the society of knowledge. We don't live in a society of knowledge right now. We live in a society where CNN says, this is what you need to know. Instead of giving you the knowledge and allowing you to make up your mind on what you needed to know. We have questions being given to presidents ahead of time that they're going to be called on. So it's carefully curated what information is allowed to be out there. So when I spoke with Michael Bednarik last year and we're sitting down, he goes, the country's gone, Greg. Why do you want to do this? What makes you think that your show is so important that all of a sudden they're going to listen to you? He said, I am the best teacher in the entire country, if not the entire world on the constitution. He said, I've been doing this for decades. And if I can't change people's minds, what makes you think you can get people to give a damn? Well, he's probably correct. The country is really far gone. The fire is out the door. We have news that's dedicated now to repeating taglines based upon Sinclair media and all repeating the same thing, parroting better than uh, Chi-Chi Ken. Sorry, Chi-Chi, the uh, <laughs> official parakeet yeah. of the shows. Program observer. She's Program. very hard at work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we've now deemed that if you get your information from an internet search, then it's worthless. Or if you're getting your news from Twitter, it's worthless. Or if I don't have a degree in being a doctor, then the information that I can provide on my podcast is worthless. That's false dichotomy. Michael Benark, I'm so sorry that we failed you. He also said that when he dies and he meets Thomas Jefferson, I think it was Thomas Jefferson in heaven, Thomas Jefferson is going to ask him, what did you do? to save the country or uphold the constitution. And he said that he would have a clear conscience. I ran for president. I ran for office. I taught people about the constitution. I spoke about this till I was blue in the face. So why do people like you and I do the things that we do? For me, sometimes it's just sheer boredom and I've got nobody else to talk to. I'm sad, (laughs) (laughs) but there's, there's something inside of us that knows something is wrong. So being that we're supposed to be having freedom of speech, this is what we do. We exercise that freedom of speech. And sometimes we get it wrong, but most of the time we get it right. And hopefully we make people think a little bit differently and a little bit more critically. And hopefully we don't get canceled as a result of our free speech. Hopefully people understand that it's our right to have our shows and it's your right to choose not to listen. When we come back, After the break, I'm going to play a clip of Michael talking about the First Amendment, and then we're going to get into what he felt was the next most important uh, amendment, if not the most important amendment, and that's the Second Amendment. We're going to talk a little about that to wrap up the week here, and then I'm just going to remind people, go to bednark.org. You can go purchase Good to Be King or go to your favorite book service. Uh, This is our way of honoring him here on today, the anniversary of his death. We'll be right back. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden and Chris Michaels here on the America Out Loud Network. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. 
Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back, Bold Americans, second half of the show and part five, the finale. We're in the back half now with Chris Michaels and myself talking about and honoring the life of Michael Benark. And I want to play this clip from uh, Michael Benark talking about the First Amendment. All right, so let me uh, bring that up for everybody so you can hear the audio. And we're going to kick this conversation the high gear. And we say that so casually. Why? Why do we have and need the right to free speech? So we can cheer for those cowboys? Hey, you see that football game the other day? <laughs> Part of it. <laughs> it was really a rhetorical question. <laughs> he had a great sense of humor. We don't have freedom of religion so that we can discuss, well, it is that so we can discuss literature, but primarily, primarily it is so that we can badmouth the government. We have a right to alter or abolish the government. If I wanted to alter the government, now I know that's a really strange hypothetical because we all know the government is perfect just the way it is. <laughs> but hypothetically, if, if I wanted to change it, let me assume hypothetically that I thought taxes were too high. That giving, you know, my federal, state, and FICA taxes total 48%, and you know, I'm just not crazy about giving half of what I make to the government. How would I go about changing it? What would be the first step? How about getting behind a podium and going, ladies and gentlemen, I think taxes are too high. Are you with me? We need to get consensus so that we, the people, can go in and make changes to the government. Freedom of speech is primarily freedom of political speech. And when George Bush says, you're either with us or you're against us, the Alien and Sedition Act prevented people from saying anything bad about the government. 
If you go to a Republican rally with an anti-George Bush t-shirt, you get handcuffed and escorted out by the Secret Service. What was the defining characteristic of Stalinism? Suppressing political dissent. Let's stop there and ask how we can connect this to COVID-19. What are you hearing here about Michael Bednarik and the suppression of political speech and what we just came out of over the last three years? You better say what you're allowed to, what you're supposed to say. It's got to be going along with that narrative. Otherwise, you'll be ostracized and you'll be extracted from social media. And, and by the way, your family as well. You mustn't say these kinds of things. What we saw during COVID was much more draconian than what he's talking about here, which is equally as draconian. Because now, what do you have? You've got one layer above what he's talking about, and that is you've got big pharma and, and the military pushing this kind of language and restrictions on your rights. That is the epitome of fascism. And a, I won't even call it a dictatorship because it's not. It's, it's, it's a kleptocracy almost. So that is extremely troubling. And I wish people like you and me had more sway than what we do because of it. And, you know, him saying it's our job now to get behind the podium. You and I have been doing that. We're behind our podium. We're putting our voices out there now for people to be able to hear and trying to light the flames of liberty to the best of our ability. And Michael Benark liked to write that in every single book that was purchased. Uh, the book that I have here in front of me, he writes, Lighting the Fires of Liberty, One Heart at a Time, Michael Benark. And then he would date it the year that it was purchased. This book here, May 1st, 2011. But every book that got purchased off his website when he was alive, he made sure that he understood that this was to light the flames of liberty. Let's continue on because I really feel like this entire speech, and I know it's seven minutes, we're, we're about two minutes in, we'll kind of cut back in and out of this to cover and highlight this. Let's hear the rest of Michael's words. You're either with us or you're against us. This is chilling. When I was running for president, I went to a university and they had me speaking in this auditorium. It was a beautiful auditorium. 300, 350 seats. Looked like it had just recently been built. Beautiful facility. And I had 12 people in the first row. And I thought, well, this is really silly. You know, I got this, I'm echoing throughout the auditorium. I said, let's go across the hall. We've got a classroom. We can sit closer. We can see each other, you know, face to face. Talk a little bit more informally. Nope, can't do that. You're a political candidate presidential candidate. You have to be in the auditorium because the auditorium is a free speech zone. <laughs> I almost fell off the stage. I said, what about the hallway? What about the rest of the campus? No, nope, that's a speech-free zone. <laughs> and I will tell you exactly what I told those students. Anywhere I happen to be standing, is a free speech zone. The government doesn't tell me what I can or cannot say. The government doesn't tell me where I can or cannot say it. 
I have freedom of speech because none of you are big enough to shut me up. That's why I have freedom of speech. And when we hear someone who's being sexist or racist or homophobic standing on a soapbox, we go, oh my gosh, person is sexist, they're racist, they're homophobic. We got to get the government to drag them down off their soapbox. Wrong. If you violate or allow the government to violate somebody else's freedom of speech, what does that mean about your speech? You got to get a permit. It's a privilege. And after I heard that free speech zone was kind of that phrase, I was listening, I heard something on TV and I turned, and at the Democratic Convention in Boston that year, they had a free speech zone two miles away from the convention. It was a chain link fence surrounded by razor wire. Does that sound like a free speech zone to you? Oh, look, Mom, Auschwitz, another free speech zone. And they wanted me to go to the Republican convention. They had a, a rally out in Central Park. I said, okay, and I'm going to have a bunch of people there. Okay, yeah, I kind of figured that. Well, we don't know if you want to go or not. Why? Well, because the Libertarian Party in New York City didn't get a permit. <laughs> and so... Typical Libertarian so Party. You might be worried about getting yeah. I'm willing to lay down my life, liberty or death, and you think I'm worried about a silly permit? <laughs> Wake up! Freedom of speech, freedom of the press. Do we have freedom of the press? Freedom of the media in this country? I'm going to pause here. We'll get to the freedom of the press, freedom of the media, because I want to riff off something he said earlier with, oh my God, that person's a racist. Oh my God, that person's a homophobe. We do. We, we now have court cases like, you know, should you be forced to bake a cake for a homosexual couple that have now we've asked the government to rule on and people got really upset that the Supreme Court said, well, no, the Constitution, there's nothing in there about the Constitution, which was the proper ruling because they didn't say, no, it's not constitutional or constitutional. They said there's nothing in the document to force somebody to do this. It's that person's right. So the Supreme Court actually completely got that case proper and right. But if we start allowing the community to start stating, you can't say this, you can't say that, you're getting canceled and we need the government to oversee your cancellation. I never thought about in the terms of what are we giving up on our side? Once you do that, you take a little inch, eventually it becomes a yard, it becomes a mile. And before you know it, you have none of your free speech right or left. Yes, we all need it, no matter what we're saying. Freedom of speech is inalienable. Now, he has also made a very, very subtle joke in one of his talks. He doesn't call it inalienable. He calls it in, what is he called? In, inalienable. Yes. Because most of commercial law, which is what we think the law is, which doesn't necessarily go along with the Constitution in some cases, deals with liens everywhere. So putting a lien on something or whatever. But the idea that freedom of speech needs to be upheld in any way is, is laughable. It's there. It's always there. There's no need to restrict it. There's no need to hold it up. It is always there. Only what we to need protect to do it. is it's always protected. 
It's inherent to you as a person. So what needs to happen is all of these government agencies, all of these fact checkers, all of these former CIA and FBI spooks that suddenly start up a consulting firm to work with big tech, they need to back off and they need to brush up on the Constitution. You know, just us saying that we're going to wind up on a list somewhere. <laughs> I thought I already was. <laughs> I'm sure we are. <laughs> I'm sure we are. I think once you, don't you get that a uh, little disclaimer when you sign up for a podcast or like, just so you know, you're going to cover this. Uh, we're putting you on a list. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm waiting to, I'm waiting to hop on a plane and go to Europe and being told I can't fly there because I said something poorly about another country or one of their citizens. I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. One of these days. <laughs> It's in- inevitable. All right, let's let's get to the, his talk about freedom of the press. Here we go. So we just mentioned freedom of the press. Country with every, you know, ABC, NBC. I mean, they're like rubber stamp. They look like little robotic dolls telling you exactly the same story. <laughs> this is before the whole Sinclair media came out. This was recorded back in like 2005. So Michael Bednarik was way ahead of his time when he was making this comment. If the only place you get your news is from television, you are living under a rock. We have a right to uh, peaceably assemble. You don't need permits. And you also, and this is important, have a right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. What does that mean in 2007? Means that you can file a lawsuit against the government philosophically. Does the government have a right to violate your rights? No, it's a non sequitur. So if they do, hypothetically, the government accidentally steps on your political toes, then what? Well, then you can file a lawsuit against the government and presumably win. Of course, in our court systems today, the government claims to have sovereign immunity. You can't file a lawsuit against us because we're sovereign. No, we are sovereign. You have privileges. And I ought to throw you in jail just for asserting the idea that you had sovereign immunity. This is Illinois. Has anybody here heard of the Second Amendment? Or have they just like completely <laughs> There's a, um, I, I'm genuinely pleased they've created a First Amendment museum over the Tribune building in Chicago. Tribune, Freedom of the Press, First Amendment. I could not wait. I still haven't been there. I want to go to the First Amendment museum and go, this is wonderful. I was a presidential candidate. I wrote a book all about, you know what we ought to do? We ought to take the next floor down and turn it into the Second Amendment museum. <laughs> You know how many people would have heart attacks in Illinois? The Second Amendment. Now, Michael Benarik would go on to say that the Second Amendment, as far as he was concerned, was the most important of all of the documents in the Constitution. That and he would, uh, one of his famous uh, last things that he said, he's like, come at me with a needle or something you want to jab in my arm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. And uh, I have, you know, uh, ammunition with your name on it. Um, if you put, put this in my arm, you're getting something in your head. It was basically kind of what he was getting. At. And he told that on my show as well, which was pretty funny. 
The Second Amendment protects the First Amendment and all other amendments. A lot of people don't realize that. They think the Second Amendment is about uh, being able to just carry a gun and be able to protect each other, like a vigilante type of status. It's not about protecting one another. It's about protecting your property and protecting your sovereign state. The government would like to say that they're sovereign. They're not. You just heard Michael talk about that there in that clip. We are our own kings and queens. You are King Chris. I am King Greg. We are. We're kings because that's the way that our constitution was set up. Anyone that tells you differently is lying to you because it doesn't serve their communist socialist agenda. And the way that they would love to disarm us, so that way you couldn't have your free speech, so you can't alter or abolish government one day, that is an ultimate goal, I believe, for people. And so would Michael believe that. He believed that that Second Amendment eroding was because once you take that away, there's no way you can alter or abolish your government. It now has grown uh, larger than ourselves. So we have a right to keep and bear arms but we're not obligated to obtain any government permission to do so because why it is a right. You might not like the fact that I have my concealed carry permit. You might not like the fact that I had to even go get a permit. I don't like it because it was my rights. It might make you nervous to know that when I go out into society, that I have a gun on me too damn bad. That would be the words of Michael <laughs> Bednarik, because I have a right to carry a gun for self-defense. I have a right to carry a gun to help make sure that I have a pursuit of a happy day. That if I go in the 7-Eleven, I don't have to worry about an a-hole walking in and ruining my pursuit of happiness. You don't have to approve of my activity for me to still have that right. Moms demand action. Screw you. You are a community. I am an individual. And so I'm not a huge gun nut by any means, shape, or form. I'm a constitutionalist. Michael Benark would call me an absolutist, that I believe that the, uh, the Constitution is an absolutist document, that therefore we should take the words of our rights and understand that the only thing that the Constitution does is protect the rights. It doesn't grant anything. It doesn't expand on anything. And because it's a right, I don't need permission to do anything. I just have to make sure I don't violate somebody else. How do you feel about the Second Amendment, Chris? Is it as important as it was uh, to Michael, to you, or do you feel that the first is more important? Which one is the most important one? I think Michael said it best. If the First Amendment doesn't work, the second one does. <laughs> yep. So that's important. The Second Amendment is all that's keeping this country from looking like Australia and New Zealand. And we saw what these COVID maniacs did to those countries. Good luck trying to do that if Australians had the right to bear arms. And this whole idea he brings up, Michael brings up, when he was talking about how some individuals say, well, the, you need a well-regulated militia. And that's clearly the National Guard. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because the National Guard was only, what, formed well after the Constitution? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Right? So are you telling me that the Founding Fathers were so prescient 
that they knew over a century later that we needed the National Guard and the National Guard became the militia? Nope. Exactly. We are the militia. Right. See, that, that's where when you start reading why they did what they did, we were the military. And when I say we, I mean like you and I and uh, Chi Chi, the, the right. program observer. She's part that's of the right. militia. <laughs> Right. Like we are all part of a militia because we understood that what was going to make us profoundly uh, strong was not be a military. It was by making sure that all 300 million Americans were all part of our military. So no one comes through and tries to upheave what we had established. And at the time uh, when weapons were distributed, uh, they used funds from France and from Spain in order to uh, arm our society. Nowadays, we have a well-regulated militia because many people have just decided to go purchase their firearms. Let me explain. Like Here at my home, I've had a couple moments where things have gotten a little crazy, and I live in a nice neighborhood, but right off the street from me, there was 39 shots sent into a home because one of the kids... Uh, the, the parents, their son got involved in a carjacking gang activity. He started talking in court. So they lit up the home. When that happened, do you think I had time to call the police and wait 10 minutes in order for the police so. to show up? I don't think so. Or no. if I was in England, can I call the fire department so they can hose my attacker down? I don't think so. Mm-mm. You know, I think, if I wait and I call the police in that case and all of a sudden it's coming up my house, I'm pretty sure the only thing that police officer is doing when they show up is filling out my homicide report. And it's not my homicide of my shooting because I don't yeah. believe in guns. It's they're filling out my death report in my family. So it's probably best that I take 10 seconds or so remove my pistol from alongside my bed and I kill the intruder wherever they stand in my home to protect my family. Why don't people understand that? And I should be able to use whatever means necessary that I have available to me. I mean, if I want to purchase an assault rifle, as people like to say, I think everything's an assault rifle, by the way, simply anything that I can fire is an assault rifle. So hands off my, my weapons of choice. But if that's what I choose to defend my home with, that's what I choose. Screw you. Just as my speech, just my guns, you don't have a right because your rights end where my rights begin. Yeah, Michael always said, if you try to confiscate my guns, I will feel compelled to give them to you one bullet at a time. <laughs> that sums the man up, Chris. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to, to do this week of episodes here. Really trying to bring him to another audience because i'm assuming that a lot of people haven't heard of him and uh, i'm excited that you took me up on the offer to to get to know michael a little bit more this week watch some videos of him and get to know a little bit more about his teachings i think that it's timeless and it's vital and important i don't think that there's another figure like him in this country maybe in this world right now and we lost a, a really good one last august 11th uh, when he passed away the only joy that I had was I have a video of him blowing out his birthday candles the day before at his birthday party. This man partied for like 16 straight hours with his friends in Texas <laughs> before finally uh, giving into the fluid around his heart. Um, 
but what an awesome guy. What a firecracker, um, a, a true, true patriot and a statesman. Michael Bernard. That, that's the best words that I could find from you as a true statesman. And I'm sorry, Chris, that he couldn't be on the show with us together because I know that he would have really enjoyed speaking with you as well. I would have loved that opportunity. And I'm sorry that I didn't even know about him sooner. Uh, you, you exposed him to me. And I've always been leaning libertarian. Uh, I just never really realized it. I mean, the only donation I've ever made to a political party or a person, I should say, was Ron Paul. And I think I, I don't even think Ron Paul can hold a candle to Michael. No. Ron Paul ended up writing the uh, beginning to his book, Good to be King. Ron Paul was a gigantic Michael Bednarik fan. Um, and actually, you know, that would be on my, my bucket list. I got to talk to Ron back in February. I would love to get him on the show um, yeah. to wrap up that message in a nice little bookend. But I got to be honest, I've been a little bit gun shy in bringing him onto the show um, because Why? he is such a legend. So, uh, oh, come on. Don't get weak in the knees. Come yeah, on. I'll talk. I'll talk to you about <laughs> some other uh, some other time. Not not during the show. We'll, we'll get into it. But it's a sentimental thing. Um, OK. Superstition sentimental. Well, we'll get good. Get from there. All right, everybody. It's been a wonderful week of shows. Part one through five. Hope that you enjoyed this one. But the book isn't over. Right. I could have done parts one through 20. And I still would have more to say about his teachings because I didn't cover the book from cover to cover. I, I highlighted different things from it. And today we only got into the first two amendments. He talks about all of the rest of them. He talks about the preambles as well. So go get good to be king, the foundation of our constitutional freedom. Uh, again, I don't know if he, the state gets money at this point in time. He didn't have any children. So I have no idea how that works. Find a used copy, but just help light the flames of liberty in honor of Michael Benark. You've all been listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden and Chris Michaels here on the America out loud network. Be bold America. Mm-hmm.